don't you just love technology? What happened? While this thing decides what it's going to do, let's go ahead and sing. All right. <laughs> the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. are glad to be here this morning. Amen. I know I am. And as always, a little nervous. And this thing didn't help me. But as I said this morning, when you're ready, to, when you're giving a witness, one of the things you always have to be is prepared. <laughs> have to be prepared. Got a backup. I just didn't have it with me. <laughs> you may be seated this morning. I asked Brother Aaron to sing this song, and this is a, a song that comes straight from the Bible. A lot of songs we talk about or we have, they... They're about stories in the Bible, or most of them are how either the Word of God affects us or how God has affected us. But there are songs that come straight from the Bible. This is one of them. Proverbs 18 and 10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. The righteous run into it, and it is safe. I'd like to talk to you this morning about that strong tower. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you have given us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the, the spirit that we feel here. We feel your presence here. We felt it from the beginning of service. Lord, I thank you, Lord, 
Lord, that you have, Lord, allowed us to be in your presence, that you have allowed us to come into your courtroom. Lord, that you have allowed us to enter into your throne room. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the words that are spoken come from you. Lord, that it is not man's wisdom, but it is your word. I pray, Lord, your anointance on this word. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. When thinking about this verse, my mind's eye always goes back to not the strong tower. My mind always goes back to the medieval European castles. Growing up, always had a little bit of a fascination with castles. You know, you see one on TV and it's like, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to live in that castle. You know, it would be so cool. You know, just that, oh, how big it is. You know, how strong and nobody can get into the castle. You know, and you have a moat around it. It's that fascination as a kid. And as I grew older and started experiencing life, I realized that the look of a castle is really cool. But to live in one, it's really cold. You think of a castle, most castles are built out of stone, built out of brick, mortar, or large. They're made for a purpose. The biggest purpose is for defense. Castles run in size from you know, small to behemoth. The castles are built, again, for defense. Castles have evolved from the strong tower. They were a place, they've, they've evolved beyond just the strong tower. They've, they're a place of community. I think of a castle, it's up on the hill, and usually by the gates you have a market. Usually people are living around the castle. Why? Because it provides protection. But what gives a castle its strength? What gives a tower its strength? What features make a castle or a tower strong? First, you look at its location. Where are castles built? They're always up on a hill or on a cliff. Why? They're also usually around water. The, I read a little bit about the uh, Edinburgh Castle, and it was built around water. There was a spring in it, and that was a part of its defense, being able to have water inside the castle. The elevation also gives a vantage point. You get to see what's around you. I don't know how many people have been up on the roof 
on the church. If you're afraid of heights, don't do it. And if you're kind of afraid of heights, don't get close to the edge. But you get up there, you start looking around. You see a lot of stuff. See all the houses close. You start seeing the houses that aren't so close. All of a sudden, you look this way. Well, actually, you look this way. You start seeing Cleveland, the houses around it, and the big buildings. Being up high gives you that vantage point. It allows you to spot things around you easier. When an enemy comes, you have an early warning because you see them sooner. When friends come, you're able to distinguish friend from foe a lot sooner because you're up on a hill. Next, we look at its construction. Thick walls form the primary defense of a castle. They were built to withstand battering rams, siege engines, and other siege siege tactics. And then towers are built on the walls. These towers, one, uh, provide a vantage point. Two, they give overlapping points of being able to defend. I don't know if you've ever thrown a ball, tried to throw it uphill. And then you go up to get the ball and you throw it back downhill. It's a lot easier to throw it downhill than it is to throw uphill. It's a lot easier to drop a rock from a high tower than it is to throw a rock to hit the tower. It's, the, the height is given for defense. They are also protected outside these walls with a moat. It's filled with water. It's a ditch that becomes an obstacle. Crossing the moat is made even more challenging by a drawbridge which could be raised and lowered as needed. And then there's a curtain wall that encloses all of that, connecting the towers and the structures. It acts as an additional defense barrier, protecting the inner court and preventing attackers from easily breaching the castle. As defense features, castles incorporate various defensive elements, such as arrow slits. I don't know if you've seen castles and they have just this little long line. I don't know if you've ever done any research. That's for, for um, so that people with bows can just, they have this slit. And when it's close, it, it's about this big. When you're far away, it's about that big. That's a defense. Other um, features include battlements and different array of mechanisms to, to be able to help in defense. 
The strength of castles stemmed from several factors. One, the defensive position. It's up in the air. Usually a little bit open around it. It's solid construction. It's built of stone, not wood. I grew up in Uniontown, Somerset in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, and near us was a fort, or what was where a fort used to be, I'll say that, Fort Necessity. All it was was a ring of tree trunks stuck into the ground. Yes, it's fortification, but it burnt to the ground. Castle is made of stone so that it doesn't burn. It's not easy to penetrate. It's very durable. It has heightened security. Combined with the thick walls, towers, and defensive features, made breaching a castle's defense a challenging task for attackers. This forced assailants to adopt costly and time-consuming siege tactics. There's a psychological impact of a castle. Castles project power and authority, serving as a symbol of the Lord's dominance, that being little L. The imposing structure instilled fear and discouraged potential invaders acting as a deterrent in many cases. And you come up thinking you're going to war against another nation or another king or a lord. You come up to this big castle. You know it has thick walls. As I said, you have archers, but their targets are about that big. It makes you think before you actually advance. It has that psychological impact to it. And then the functional design. Castles were not just defensive structures. They were also self-sufficient communities. They often included wells or sources of water, food storage, areas, and even gardens. This allowed defenders to withstand lengthy sieges and maintain their strength over time. The concept of fortified structures can be traced back to ancient civilizations, such as the Mesopotamian and Egypt. These early fortifications consisted of walls or ramparts surrounding a central stronghold, providing a defensive advantage against attackers. Castles took these concepts further. Now, we do have an example of a fortification in the Old Testament. This is Jericho. And we have um, archaeological studies now that actually show how Jericho was built. Now, we know that it wasn't fortified well enough for God because Israel captured Jericho but they didn't do it with man's offense. They didn't do it with arrows. They didn't do it with the siege. They didn't do it with the battering ram. 
They didn't attack. They let the Lord take over. They let the Lord win the battle. But here's what one archaeologist described Jericho as. The mount, or tell, of Jericho was surrounded by a great earthen rampart or embankment with a, with a stone retaining wall at its base. The retaining wall was some 12 to 15 feet high. On top of that was a mud brick wall six feet thick and about 26 or 20 to 26 feet high. At the crest of the embankment was a similar mud brick wall whose base was roughly 46 feet above the ground level outside the retaining wall. This loomed high above the Israelites as they marched around the city each day for seven days. Humanly speaking, it was impossible for the Israelites to penetrate the impregnable bastion of Jericho. It was impossible. You had a six-foot retaining wall. Or, sorry, 12 to 15-foot retaining wall. Then you had 20 to 26-foot wall on top of that. And then you had another wall some 40 feet beyond that up higher. There's no way that the army of Israel could defeat it. But God did. Solomon also knew what it meant to have protection of a palace or of a castle. One being the son of the king, he knew the protection that his father's palace gave him. Then being king, he created his own. One in Jerusalem, and then multiple ones all around. One of them was in uh, uh, Jazir, near Egypt. And we talk um, talking about the psychological warfare. This was a palace, a castle-ish, that Solomon hardly ever went to. But it showed his power. It showed his dominance over the area. Hey, this king not only has his castle here, but he has a castle over here that we might have to take too. I don't think we need to go against Solomon. In Proverbs 10, or 18.10, Solomon paints a vivid picture of God's name as a strong tower for refuge for his people. A strong tower in ancient times served a place of refuge and security. It provided a vantage point for protection against enemies and sanctuary for those seeking safety. In a similar way, the name of the Lord offers us security and protection from attacks of our enemy. Just as strong towers instill confidence and peace, the name of the Lord delivers from fear and anxiety. When we run to his name, we find solace, knowing that we are shielded by his love 
and his care. God's name represents his identity and character. It, it, um, yeah. it encompasses his attributes of love, mercy, grace, and faithfulness. When we invoke his name, we are tapping into the very essence of who he is. Through the name of Jesus Christ, we have direct access to the presence of God. The name serves as a gateway to commune with him, to experience his love, and to receive his guidance and provision. The name of the Lord provides protection from the enemy. The strong tower of the Lord's name provides us the refuge from the schemes and attacks of the enemy. We seek shelter in his name, and we find deliverance from the enemy's strategies of fear, of doubt, of temptation. His name becomes our shield. It becomes our defense. His name provides comfort in troubling times. Life is filled with trials and temptations, but the name of the Lord will find solace and peace. When we run to him, our hearts are comforted. Our souls are refreshed. His name has power to, claim, to calm storms, to heal wounds, and bring hope in the midst of despair. Through his name, he provides guidance and direction. Just as towers provide a vantage point to survey the land, the name of the Lord grants us divine guidance and direction. When we trust in his name, he illuminates our path, leading us in the way we should go, his name is a source of wisdom and understanding. I don't believe that the wisest man in the world got all of his wisdom just like that. I believe some of this wisdom came from David. Solomon watched his father, I'm sure of it, whether it was a good relationship, bad relationship, sons watch their fathers. And I believe that in this, Solomon got this wisdom from his dad because David understood the strength of the name of the Lord. Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4 says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. For the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter to me and a strong tower from my enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the cover of thy wings. Selah. David so beautifully illustrates the longings of our soul. God, provide the shelter. I cry unto you. Lord, I need to dwell in your house. I need to dwell in your strong tower. He begins by crying out to God, acknowledging his sovereignty. 
seeking his divine intervention. It is an act of surrender and recognition that he cannot navigate life's challenges alone. He desires to be led to the rock that is higher, representing God's unshakable, unmovable presence. It is in him that we find safety and stability when our hearts are overwhelmed. He declares that God has been a shelter and a strong tower, providing protection from the enemy. In his presence, we find refuge from the assaults of the adversary. He expresses a desire to abide in God's tabernacle forever, trusting in the shelter of his wings. It is a plea of intimacy, an act or acknowledgement that true security is found in God alone. Combine these two verses or these two passages. It is an invitation to run into the name of the Lord for safety. It is a call to embrace the presence as our ultimate shelter. When we seek refuge in God's name, we put our trust unfailing in his faithfulness. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name will find, or in his name we find assurance, knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us. How many believe that? How many believe that he does not change? That what he has done for David, he will do for you. That he will do for me. That the wisdom that Solomon so eloquently expressed is still true. As we abide in God's presence, we experience communion and intimacy with him. It is in this sacred space that we find solace, strength, and the transformative power of his love. Dwelling in God's presence grants us peace that surpasses all understanding. We discover that in his name, there is provision for our needs, guidance for our journey, and restoration for our souls. But how do we run into his name? Well, first, you have to know his name. You have to experience his name. Acts 2, 37 through 40 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the, name, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, as, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. 
You have to be able to be in the kingdom to take the, per, the protections of the kingdom. That strong tower only gives protection to those that are near it. If the enemy comes in and they're faster than I am to get to the tower because I've just drawn away. Oh, I still see it. it it's over there. I still see it, but I don't need to be that close. All of a sudden, right there's the enemy, and it's a race. But when you're in the shadow of the tower, the watchman says, the enemy's afar off. Hey, you know what? I have time to pick this up, pick this up, Lord. Thank you for this blessing. Lord, thank you. Let's go to the tower. You've given me provision to outstand the enemy. You've given me time to collect the provision that you've given me. And you've given me that safety of the tower. We must abide close to the tower. We must abide close to his name. How do we do this? We know prayer. Communion with God. We must talk with God. We must fast, keeping ourselves under control so that we remain under the shadow of the tower. As I close, we could all stand. By communing with him regularly, we enjoy the safety of the presence the tower provides. When we are in trouble, when we are in sin, when we are in heartache, we must take it to Christ in his name, in Jesus' name. Let's remember the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a tower of security. It is a refuge for the weary. It is a fortress for the oppressed. It is shelter in the storm. In his name, we find protection. In his name, we find comfort. In his name, we find guidance. And in his name, we find deliverance. We must not only run to his name in times of trouble, in turmoil, but we need to dwell near the tower. We cannot rely on the, the tower as a symbol of strength if we don't abide close to it. May we abide close to his name, relying on his presence. May we continue to run into his name, relying on his strength, placing our trust in him. As we do, we can then experience the wisdom of Solomon. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous, those who know its strength, 
and are known by the tower run into it, and they are safe. I hope something I said this morning encourages you, is an uplift to you, to your soul. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all the many blessings that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the strong tower, Lord, that we can call on your name and enter into safety. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, Lord, for your name. We thank you, Lord, for your name, Lord, for the salvation that you have given us. Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you go with us this week. Lord, that you continue your protection over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.